Welcome to another episode of the Bandage Podcast, a weekly wrap-up of the most trending healthcare news. Each week, we'll discuss the latest in healthcare, health IT, and compliance. In this week's episode, we discuss oil drilling sites too close to Texas daycares, limiting medical parole, and high school invoice fraud. Let's wrap things up. This is episode 114 for the week of December 6th. I'm Matt Moneypenny. And I'm Albert Battistelli. Before we get started, our diagnosis code for this week is W93.11 or contact with liquid air. What? <laughs> what is what is liquid air? I honestly am not sure. That's literally like combining two elements that are just absolute. Yeah, I, I have no idea. It makes me think of like that stuff we use to like clean out like our keyboards. Yeah, I think it's, I think that's what it is. That's compressed air. Well, I think what I think it can be liquidy. Yeah, I think it's like the cold stuff. Sure. According to Google, it's air that has been cooled to very low temperatures, so much so that it's cryogenic temperatures, so that it has condensed into a pale blue mobile liquid. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. For all the science whizzes out there, there you go. Yeah. We're idiots with it, apparently, but that's okay. Great. Liquid air. There you go. The more you know. Anyways, with that, let's get into the news. First up, we have total backlash for Total Energies. Total Energies, a French energy giant, wants to drill three new wells on a property in Arlington, Texas. This property is located next to the Mother's Heart Learning Center, which serves mainly Black and Latino children. The addition of three wells along with the two existing ones would mean that the wells would lie about 600 feet from where the children play outside. Living too close to drilling sites has been linked to a range of health risks, especially to children, from asthma to neurological and developmental disorders. Unlike other states, Texas has made it exceedingly difficult for localities to fight back against energy companies and their drill sites. In this statement, the company said it has operated near Mother's Heart for more than a decade without any safety concerns expressed by the city of Arlington. In Arlington, drilling is supposed to occur no closer than 600 feet from daycare centers or homes. But companies can apply for a waiver from the city council to drill as close as 300 feet. Interesting. Well, well, well. Well, well, well. <laughs> what clever. do we have here? So clever. We've got ourselves a little bit of a uh, predicament, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And I understand. I mean, I don't think that I would feel comfortable sending my kid to a school that was within... 600 feet of a drilling site yeah I, I like think probably that's not a, that's a you know that seems like a valid argument i will say <laughs> yeah but then you feel bad for the learning center because they're there and and maybe there's no other options it says it's serving mainly black and latino children maybe that's just like the only option in the area yeah that might be and true. so that sucks that you're like stuck in a situation where well i have to send my kids here but you know they might end up like with all of these I don't know, health issues because they're, you know, within throwing distance of a drilling site. Right. It's, I, you know, I thought, I, I thought that the, the biggest health risk for a well being close to children was the risk of falling into the well. I didn't Right. Know yes. <laughs> yes. I didn't yes. know that there was health problems beyond that or health risks associated with it beyond that. So interesting story. Um, I imagine there's going to be some very angry parents writing letters in regards to it, but right. Usually when that happens, industry wins. 
Yep. Because it's make money. Money rules the world. Sure does. All right. Next up, limiting medical parole. A new California policy would send dozens of inmates who are basically permanently incapacitated from nursing homes back to state prisons. The change means that care is limited to inmates so ill they are hooked up to ventilators to breathe, meaning their movement is limited and they are no longer a public danger. The state previously included a much broader range of permanent incapacities allowing inmates to be cared for in nursing homes outside prison walls. The change could affect about 70 of the 210 inmates approved for medical parole under the current system. A lot of, uh, you know, a lot of there's always a lot of controversy associated with anything related to prisoners. Yeah. And inmates, which is unfortunate, but it just seems like there's a lot more of those stories lately. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, there's still people. Right. It's, 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 it's controversial, but there are still people. So they do, you know, they should have medical uh, right. access, I guess. Is yeah, the consideration too, especially like if they're incapacitated, if they're not going to be able to like do any harm. Like I imagine right. people who are like on feeding tubes and people who are like, I don't know, unable to really move around much. Right. Why send them back to prison? Like, I just don't understand. Like, what's the. Yeah, I don't really. I don't don't know. That's a good point. I don't know. At that point, their bodies are kind of already like a prison. Like they're 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 limited in their just by their bodies. I don't know why. I I do want to mention that this is a story about California written by the Seattle Times. So that was interesting for a second because I thought I was about to say, you know, this is. In Seattle, and I'm surprised that something like this is happening in in such a liberal state. But it's also California, so I'm surprised right. it's happening because that's like right the the biggest, most liberal state in America. So yeah, it seems strange. Next up, curbing overdoses with monitors. New York City has officially authorized safe havens for people to use heroin and other narcotics have been cleared to open. The overdose prevention centers, commonly known as supervised injection sites or safer consumption spaces, have been discussed for years in New York and some other U.S. cities and states. Supervised injection sites don't sell drugs. Users bring their own supplies and use them. The sites provide monitors who watch for signs of overdose and can administer an antidote if needed. The main goal is to just keep drug users from overdosing to death. So, sad story. I mean... right. Uh, this, this isn't the first time that we've talked about something like this in this podcast. I believe Philadelphia did something like this, almost mm-hmm. identical. Um, yeah. and I think they might've been one of the first cities to do it. Basically it's gotten to the point where the city can't manage it and, yeah. you know, they don't have enough, either the people who are using heroin don't have the funds to go to rehab or they don't have the capacity to continue to open the doors to rehab facilities in the state for that reason um which is crazy to think about and really sad yeah. but i guess you know this is better than than nothing you no know i mean? agree i think that this is like actually kind of a positive thing because i mean i mean i f- i feel like typically governments tend to just immediately go to like criminalization and obviously these mm-hmm. things are illegal but if there's like a safe place where a drug user can go and not feel like, oh, I'm at risk of being arrested or I'm at risk of like having a possession, uh, whatever, conviction, then they're more likely to, I don't know, do it safely. Or at least right. like, especially if there's people there to watch, like, I mean, a drug, 
a drug addict can't really help the fact that they want drugs and they're going to probably right. do them no matter what. So if there's a place where they can do them and not have to worry about dying, like I, I could see an argument where, Oh, that just encourages them to do it, but no, they're going to do it anyway. Like their body encourages them to do it. Like the addiction part of them is going to encourage them. They don't need like, I don't know. I think there, there would have to be some sort of like outreach as well, because I, I don't know, just, it seems to me that some people who are drug users would feel skeptical about like doing it publicly because it's such a secretive hidden thing. I feel like they'd be, they would need some sort of like assurance that they're not going to be like arrested as soon as they walk out of the safe zone or something like that. Like, right. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the big hurdle, but as long as they have that reassurance, I think, you know, I agree with you that it is positive. It's, it's, it's a positive thing for a a negative. Right. Right. It's making it the best of like a really bad situation. It's like trying to yeah. trying to do the right thing. Yeah. So good good luck, New York. City. Yeah, I hope that goes well. Yeah. Agreed. And with that, let's go into our next segment. B-R-E-A-C-H. Breach Patrol. It's a breach. All of the latest cybersecurity breaches. Welcome to Breach Patrol. We talk about the latest breaches all across the world. First up, we have... Take it away, Albert. All right. Phishing is still in style. A study from Dark Reading's latest survey has confirmed that phishing, malware, and denial-of-service attacks remained the most common causes for data breaches in 2021. The percentage of organizations reporting a phishing-related breach is slightly higher in the 2021 survey at 53% than it was in the 2020 survey at 51%. The survey found that malware was the second biggest cause of data breaches over the past year, as 41% of the respondents said they experienced a data breach where malware was the primary cause of the breach. It seemed like 2021 had a massive number of breaches. However, the survey revealed that only 13% of responding organizations reported a ransomware-related breach in the past 12 months, compared with 17% in the 2020 survey. So that's, I mean, that seems like it's a good, a good number, but it could also mean that they didn't realize, they haven't realized that they have been attacked by a ransomware. Sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, there's a million variables that could go into that last statistic and all these statistics for that matter. But, um, yeah. you know, pretty much it's just saying, hey, phishing's bad yep. and malware is bad and also, it's still super common. Yep. 2020 could have been inflated as well because so many people were working from home and relying more on emails and like electronic modes of communication. Um, So maybe those numbers for 2020 just reflected that move to some of those electronic based things and then things settled like leveled off again in 2021. Who knows? Yeah, no, that's a good point. I agree. I think. I think that probably had a lot to do with it. Um, and maybe it's just a matter of not necessarily, you know, a lot of companies still stay and still are remote. So maybe yeah. it was a matter of not realizing what to do and how to stay compliant in a remote landscape. And now more companies or now more employees understand what, what's good and what's bad. Yeah. Well. Definitely. There's a lot of ways to look at it. Next up high school invoice fraud. Evanston township high school is located in Illinois. The school's officials got scammed out of more than $48,000 during a data breach that lasted an entire month. The breach also exposed the personal information of more than 1,100 Illinois residents. The fraudulent payment was reported to Evanston police and the data breach was disclosed to the Illinois Attorney General's office. David 
Frutransky is the district's executive director of alumni relations and senior director of institutional advancement. His email account sent an invoice for a professional fee. The invoice was received on May 22nd, paid on May 29th, and discovered to be fraudulent on June 4th, 2020. The criminal investigation is ongoing. So this is an interesting kind of breach. It's more like a... Yeah. It's more like a, uh, you know, a contract breach, I guess. Yeah. A fraudulent yeah. payment. Well... No, I get you. Know, no, no, no. It is a true breach. I'm sorry, I messed up. It's. I mean, it's information a, was exposed. One thousand one hundred. Yeah. yeah. And, and then there was a, a fraudulent payment that came as the result of it. So, right. I mean, that's an interesting way. That's an interesting way for the attacker to hide in an invoice, I guess, for a professional yeah. fee. So it seems like they're that's. Because <laughs> if they so if they get the personal information of all these Illinois residents and just invoice them as underneath the 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 screen, right. and it's just a standard invoice, right. and the only thing that they're getting is the is the professional fee, right? There's just a line item on there for professional fee. They're just hiding, yeah, in plain sight, in plain sight, and they're getting like what? What was it like? Maybe four? I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be like forty eight dollars. Yeah. On right, each one, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of brilliant. Yeah, it's scary, yeah. but it's very. Scary. Brilliant. I mean, yeah. you gotta hand it to him. That was very creative. <laughs> right, it was. So I guess look at your invoices. Uh -huh. is, is to take away there because the question your fees. Yeah, the high school is the one that was at fault, but um, or the school district is the person that was at fault, but you know. I guess if you could, you could have caught it, but you probably wouldn't have caught it because it's so generic and it's just professional services. Yep. <laughs> so that's just a crazy scenario. Yep. So we should always be aware. Always be vigilant. And that's it for this week's wrap up of your weekly healthcare news. I'm Matt Moneypenny. And I'm Albert Battistelli. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Bandage Podcast produced by eTactics.